Welcome back to the Bristos Made a Baby podcast, season three, baby number three. I am your host, Becca. I am here with my lovely husband, Matt. We are together pretty much 24-7 between working, parenting, our two little girls, making our 1800s farmhouse our own. And trying to live our best, healthiest lives. We are so excited for this new season of life and to bring you guys along the journey for baby number three. Let's go. Hello, hello, friends. I'm super excited for today's episode. I am flying solo today without Matt here. Well, at least for now, because I have another guest on today to share a really incredible birth story with you guys, which I'm just very pumped for you to hear. It is another kind of crazy birth story, um, but also very beautiful at the same time. So I'm just very excited for you guys to hear from today's mama. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk a little bit about how this pregnancy is going. So in this episode, I'm just going to kind of chat about weeks 15, 16, and 17. Symptom-wise, they were very similar, so I'm just kind of lumping them together. And I will also kind of share a couple of things that happened um, during these weeks, like life-wise. So symptoms for... So this is like... Now I'm getting into the second trimester. I'm I'm getting towards that 20-week mark, which is usually when the switch really flips for me, um, where I'm feeling much more energetic. I'm not feeling sick anymore. I just feel like a pretty normal person um, besides, you know, any aches and pains that come along with a growing belly and all of that pressure and, you know, what all of the all the things that come along with growing a baby um, midway through a pregnancy. So, Symptom-wise, I'm really starting to feel better during these weeks. So like week 15, sorry if you can hear my dog in the background. Rosie, I'm not going to get up to let you out because I'm very comfortable. (laughs) Um, So weeks 15 to 17 is when I really started to feel a lot better. I wouldn't say like I turned the corner completely because I was still feeling sick at night. But the sickness, I mean, just really, really decreased in severity. So the nausea I was experiencing, just like that achy feeling where you just feel really crappy. Um, that was really subsiding. Okay. I finally got up to let Rosie out. So now you won't hear her crying. I swear I'm not that lazy. I'm literally sitting on my bed covered in wires and audio equipment. So getting up is not that straightforward. I promise I'm not just that mean and lazy that I wouldn't get up to let her out. Anyway, she's gone. So now we can continue. Um, okay. So One symptom that popped up um, in week 15, which I've never experienced this before in pregnancy, but scalp soreness. Oh my goodness. My scalp out of nowhere got so sore. Now I have a lot of hair. Like I have incredibly thick hair. I don't think people realize it, like how much hair I have, but anytime someone is ever like like if I go to a a new hair stylist or if someone's like, oh, let me like play with your hair. Like, I don't know. They're always like, whoa, you have a lot of hair. So I have a lot of hair. So it's not uncommon for me. Like if I wear my hair up in like a bun or something for a few hours, like my scalp will will like hurt when I take it down because it's just so heavy. I know this, I'm not the only person that experiences this. So like that's happened to me before where it's like tight or it's just like pulled a certain way for like many hours. Um, and it just is kind of sore from that. But it was so weird. It was just like the crown of my head, nowhere else. And it was 
it was so painful, like to flip my hair, like, like to move it around. It was incredibly tender and like sore to the touch. And it, I was actually like to move my hair around, like maybe I would like flip my part the other way or something and have my hair go in a direction that's not typically going. I would like wince. That's how bad it hurt. It was so bizarre. Um, it's kind of still been happening, but just this one specific week, I don't know what was going on. It was really bad and it gets worse and worse. Like the dirtier my hair is. So like if it's fresh and clean, it doesn't hurt at all. And then, you know, I mean, I only wash my hair like once a week and in pregnancy, I like don't produce oil in my scalp. That's another like thing I experience. It's been the same every time. And it's so nice because I can go a lot longer without washing my hair. Like I could easily wash it every 10 days And even at the 10 day mark, like it's fine. Like I'm not even using dry shampoo. Like I literally just don't produce oil in my hair, Um, which is kind of nice. But then once the baby comes out, it goes back to normal. But even then I go about seven days. Um, So that might sound crazy to some people, but I can totally make it that far anyway. But when my hair gets dirtier, um, my scalp starts to get a little bit sore again, but nothing like in this week 15, what I was experiencing. It was so bizarre. Never experienced that before. If anyone has experienced that, I'm sorry, because it's really, it hurts. <laughs> um, so that was weird. Um, another thing in like these few weeks, um, just with getting more energy back and just feeling like the kind of motivation flood in again, I wasn't so like bogged down by feeling crappy. Um, I started to wake up like a little bit earlier. So my dream life is where I get up at like five or five thirty. And I get up and I get ready and I have like two hours to myself where I typically I would work, Um, but I would get up, I would get myself ready. I would like get maybe not dressed, but I would get my makeup on and then I would go sit at my desk and I would work for like an hour or so. That is like my dream scenario. So when Hayden was a baby, um, you know, I wasn't doing that. And then as she got a little bit older, I started doing it again. I got like back in the routine and it's just it's just my favorite way to start the day. I feel so much more productive. By the time, you know, Hayden was awake, I was I was so awake and like ready for the day. I was already like physically ready and it just made my days run so much smoother and it was really helpful to me to have that extra time to get to to work essentially. Um so once I had Hadley, she literally did not sleep through the night until she was like 11 months old. She literally just now started sleeping through the night. Um, and she would wake up like two to three times a night for majority of her life on here on earth that first year. And then towards like nine, 10, 11 ish months, she would wake up like once a night. So I never really got back into that swing of like waking up early, well before the rest of my family to have time to myself to work or do whatever it is I want to do alone. Um, I, that has just not been a part of my life. And then obviously I got pregnant and now I can like barely get out of bed in the morning. So that's not happening. But I did for these couple of weeks, get up just, I would set my alarm at 645, which Hayden gets up at seven. She has one of those like green light things in her room. So even if she's awake, she hangs out until the green light turns on at seven. Um, and typically Hadley at this point was waking up between like seven and seven thirty. So I would wake up at 645 and that would give me like 15 minutes just to like 
roll out of bed, wash my face, brush my teeth, and throw on some makeup. And usually Matt would grab Hayden and then I would get the baby when she woke up. And that makes such a big difference because being able to like start the day with that already under my belt, I feel like I'm more productive and I can just jump right into work versus, because we do have, um, we do have a sitter that comes every morning to watch the girls so that we can work and then she leaves for the afternoon. If I can start working the second she comes versus like, I have to go upstairs. I have to get dressed. I have to get ready. Like I want to have coffee, like all those things. It just, it, it takes like a whole chunk of my day. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm behind. And then I don't get as much done. So life-changing, just putting my, literally just putting my makeup on. I wouldn't get dressed or anything, but just, just that having that done, even though it takes me 10 minutes, it's totally a mental thing. Um, having that done ahead of time. Anyway, so I started during this point waking up around that time. Um, that hasn't been working out as much recently because it's been harder to get out of bed, which I'll talk about in future episodes because like a new symptom kind of popped up um, that makes it harder for me in the morning to like get going. Um, and also the baby has just been waking up a lot earlier for some reason. So um, that was short-lived, but it was nice while it lasted and hopefully I'll be able to do that again soon. Um, but overall I'm, I'm definitely like entering the good part of pregnancy. I'm like approaching the honeymoon phase where, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like a full blown honeymoon because I still have some struggles, which again, I'll kind of get into that just make me not feel like myself. Um, but I'm not sick. Energy levels are better. And I have pretty typical days where I can get a lot of things done, not nearly as much as my non-pregnant self, because I do have to take it easy. Um, but you know, entering that good part, which feels so good to be on the other side, um, of all of that. So what happened, um, a couple of things that happened during these few weeks. One, I had like this major, I don't even know if it's nesting. I think it was just more sort of desperation, but I call it like the great toy purge. So moms out there, I know you feel me on this. I don't know what it is. Toys literally just like grow exponentially. Like I'm not even buying toys. I don't like, where do they even come from? Like, yes, they got toys at Christmas. Like, yes, every once in a while we'll go to Target and get more magnetiles or something. Cause you know, but we're not like buying all the, and I'm literally like, where are they coming from? They're coming out of like, they're just all, they're everywhere. There's toys everywhere. So we have a playroom in our house. And that is where like the toys are supposed to be, you know, obviously that doesn't always work out. Toys end up all over the house, but that's like home base for the toys. There are drawers, there are cabinets, they have, there's this like great setup in there. It's perfect. You can store everything in there and it's perfect for a playroom. But we spend so much time in our family room. And even when our babysitter's here, they spend majority of the time in the family room. And also just this time of year in winter, we live in a really old house and that section of the house where the playroom is, the HVAC is like literally horrendous and it's freezing. Um, the reason we know that is because we were going to do this like major kitchen renovation and they were like, you're going to have to do so much HVAC like behind the scenes stuff to like make this a more livable space. Not that it's not livable, but it's just very cold because we were going to extend the kitchen to there. Anyway, we're not doing that. But it's very cold in that room. So of course we can still play in it. It's not like frigid. It's just not nearly as heated as the rest of the house. It's kind of uncomfortable. Um, I don't like sitting in there. I'm always cold. I think being on blood thinners makes me even more cold. I don't know if that's a thing, but, um, so we end up hanging out in the family room way more. So the toys just, they just 
slowly migrate. And all of a sudden there was this one day and, and for weeks I'd been feeling like this, like every time we walk in the family room, even when they were cleaned up, like toys in baskets and in boxes and like on the perimeter of the room, I would walk in and I would just feel like the toys were like closing in on me. And we were just like, I wanted before Christmas, I wanted to do a big toy purge, but I was feeling so sick. That was just not going to happen. And then Christmas, you know, there's presents and there's toys and there's all this new stuff. And like, we didn't get a ton of stuff, but then you get gifts from everybody and there's just gifts coming from every direction, which is so great. But it's also like, boom, there's all this new stuff in your house. And I'm definitely like the kind of person where like, I fully understand that like you, you have to manage it or it's just gonna, it's just gonna like take over and you become so like bogged down by your stuff. And I don't want to live that way, but it's also really hard to stay on top of that kind of stuff unless you are like in the groove organizing it all the time. Cause you can go through and you can purge and you can organize, but within days and it's going to be unorganized. And then within a few weeks, it just seems like, I don't know where these toys come from, but they, they're there. So anyway, so I had this great toy purge. Uh, when I say I like literally probably half of their toys I got rid of. Um, and it, it just, it felt so, so good. I went through and there was a lot of things where I'm like, they literally don't even play with this. And a lot of things where I'm like, this gets played with like once every couple of months it's gone. It was, it was a ruthless purge. And (laughs) Matt was like, wait, you're getting rid of that. You're getting rid of. And I was like, yes, yes, I am. You're not going to talk me out of it. Like this needs to happen. There's too much stuff and it's overwhelming for kids. If they have too much stuff, it's like they, there's like studies that show like they, they, their imagination is decreased. Like they're overwhelmed by the stuff and they don't play as independently. They don't play as well, whatever. So I'm a firm believer in that. So I'm like the less stuff, the better, but there was, <laughs> there was one thing. Luckily we didn't like, I mean, everything was like in bags and we moved it out to the garage. Um, so it wasn't like physically gone the next day yet. Um, but there was one thing that I, it was literally in the bottom of this big basket we have. It's like this little magnifying glass that like has a little light on it. And like Hayden knew she, cause she, she's, so she had, she wasn't even three or no, she had just turned three at this time, but she is, she's just a very smart three-year-old. Like she acts more like she's like five. Um, and she, cause people, I always hear people say like, oh my God, they're two or three. Like do not bring them in on like the purging. Like when they're older, it's good for them to see and be a part of the process. But when they're younger, like just get rid of it. They'll never know. Of course, of course she was like, where's my magnifying glass? And I was like, what? Oh, I don't know. I'll have to find it. Like trying to play it off. And Matt was just looking at me like, you shouldn't have done that purge. And he was like, so disapproving. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I still don't have no regrets. It's so much better in here now. Um, but oh, she like really got upset. So Matt had to be like, oh, I'm going to go look for it. Maybe we left it outside. And he literally had to like go through the bags and like find this magnifying glass and bring it in because she, she really was like, and I felt bad, you know, because of course you don't want to like, you don't want to actually get rid of something they're very attached to. Um, and all of a sudden it's gone. But I mean, I literally, I wasn't getting rid of anything that was, you know, new from Christmas or 
that they play with all the time. Like when I say this thing was literally in the bottom of this huge toy basket, like it was in the bottom. So was not anticipating that. And I, and she must've like, she knew something was up like, cause we were just like, Oh, we'll have to find it. And she was like, no, where is it? So that was kind of funny. So that was a great toy purge. I'm looking forward to a lot more nesty urges to organize and declutter because our house definitely needs it. Um, like I need to go through clothes and just like the girls clothes and really get that in, in check. So hopefully motivation will come for that soon. Um, and then the only other thing that happened was, um, my poor Hadley. So she went through some major teething. She had like a couple, she, she had been like, she's been teething all along, like lots of drool and, um, you can like see the teeth starting to come in, but never like miserable. Like it never really affected her mood. She was just kind of her happy self. But then there was like a a week or so there where she was just like a little more like whiny and, um, wasn't like sleeping quite as great. And just, you could tell she was just like, she was teething. Um, but it wasn't like a huge deal. But then this, this poor baby, there's just one day where, and she had no teeth for like the longest time. And then all of a sudden her like top two and bottom two teeth all came in at once. And she had this one day where she was just so miserable and you like, she had like just the tiniest bit of a fever. Um, like it was like barely even anything on the thermometer, but she was like hot to the touch and she was just poor thing was so miserable. I felt so bad for her and she did not sleep well. So we had one night where, I mean, she was waking up like every hour or two, which is just like brutal, like (laughs) reminds me of the newborn days and I mean, I was used to her waking up once a night anyway, but not every hour or two. So we had one really rough night there, um, which when you're, you know, pregnant and you just want to sleep, it's just, it's just not what you want, but it's what you get. So, um, I have a baby and I'm having another baby. So that's just kind of, uh, what we're dealing with right now, but it was really only like one, it was probably like 24 hours where she was like really feeling rough. Um, lots of Copaiba oil to help her out, um, which helps so much. But poor little thing was having some major teething situations. Um, but that's it. So ever since then, she's still she's still cutting teeth. There's more teeth coming in. They are just all coming in now. Um, but she's she's been okay with it, which is good. Um, so that's kind of everything that went down in these next or these um, week. What are we? Fifteen to seventeen. And next, we're gonna jump into. Caitlin's birth story. So we actually met on Instagram. She reached out to me um, and let me know that she would love to, you know, if possible, share her birth story on this podcast. And I was like, yeah, girl, let's do it. Um, She's totally a birth junkie like I am. So without further ado, let's hop over there. It's a very, very um, beautiful story. A lot of ups and downs. I think a lot of women out there will really relate to her and her story on a lot of different on a lot of different points. Um, so without giving anything away, let's go ahead and hop in and hear from Caitlin. All right, guys. So I have Caitlin here. I'm super excited to have her on. She's going to share her whole birth story with you guys. But before we dive into her story, I'm just going to let her tell her, tell you guys a little bit about herself. Um, we met via Instagram, so I'm actually excited to learn a, bit, a little bit more about her. So, Caitlin, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of your background? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I my name is Caitlin. Um, I live in Washington, D.C. with my husband, Alex, and our nine-month-old baby boy, Oliver. 
Um, and I am a early childhood developmental specialist and a preschool teacher. And I've been in that field for about 12 years. Um, my husband works for the DC government. Um, and we've been in DC for about 10 years. We love it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm very excited to share my story today. I actually, um, went into the field of early childhood education because I love kids. Um, I've always wanted to be a mom and have always been very fascinated by birth. And so my birth story is something that I'd always been very excited to experience birth. And so now having gone through it and have had time to reflect on it, it's been, it's a, a fun thing to share. So I'm excited to dive into it today. Yay. I'm so excited. I feel like you're definitely kind of a birth junkie. Like I <laughs> absolutely <laughs> getting those vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So why don't you just jump in, feel free to share, you know, even a little bit about your pregnancy or just kind of help sure. you progress and then just lay it on us. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I guess I'll start at the beginning of our marriage. Um, my husband and I, we met in college, which was a long time ago at this point, um, probably about 12 years ago, <laughs> um, maybe 10 years ago. Um, and so then we got married in April of 2016. So at this point we've been married almost six years. Um, and we, um, we knew that we wanted to, we'd been together for a little while, but we knew we wanted some time in our marriage before we had kids and we both love to travel and, um, just, we wanted to kind of enjoy being in DC and kind of all that DC has to offer before welcoming kids. Um, I feel like I had a little bit of a glimpse into just how challenging parenting can be just through my job. I teach yeah. three and four-year-olds. So, um, being around them every day, it's, I mean, I love it more than anything in the world, but it certainly gives a good insight into how There's great that. it can be when you have your own. So, um, I knew I didn't want to jump into having kids right away, although I was very eager and anxious to be a mother um, myself. Um, so we decided that we wanted to wait a couple of years. Um, we ended up planning this big trip to Asia. We went to um, Thailand and Vietnam in December of 2018. And that was like kind of a big bucket list trip for us. And we knew that after we went on that trip was when we wanted to start trying to have a family. And um, so yeah, we went on our trip. We got back to DC. We knew that was when we wanted to start trying to have a family. So that was winter of 2019. Um, and it was not the easiest journey for us, which was a little bit unexpected. Um, we had no reason to believe that we would have trouble conceiving. Um, and we had, I mean, no one else in our family that we knew of at the time had trouble conceiving. So it was a little bit of a surprise. Um, so we tried from about from January, 2019, um, to March of 2020, we had nothing, no success, oh. no positive pregnancy tests. And that was very discouraging. I think even by month, like two or three, I was already like, what's going on? Why, yeah, why is anything it. happening? Even though at the time it felt so soon it, I think when you have been waiting and wanting something for so long and then for it to just not happen, um, was definitely discouraging and I don't think it helped. And I, I know that I'm certainly not alone in this. I don't think it helped. I was very much in the place or my friends were all in the place where they were having their own kids. So it was, you know, I felt like there's just pregnancies everywhere. And, um, it was a little bit disheartening. And of course, a lot of emotions, um, came along with that. Absolutely. And yeah, that's, um, yeah, emotional roller coaster. 
Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, it's just given me so much perspective for, um, people who have even longer and harder struggles than we did. I truly like my heart goes out to anyone that's had to experience any type of infertility or miscarriage. It truly is just, um, like a very traumatic, devastating thing that, um, I don't think I fully understood it until I went through it all myself. Um, but yeah, so after we've been trying for about a year, we decided that, um, we wanted to figure out what was going on. If we, there was any possible answers to why we weren't conceiving. And so we went to a fertility doctor and so they did a whole bunch of testing and everything came back normal. So they were, they diagnosed us with unexplained infertility and we had plans to, um, start an IUI in March of 2020, which of course we all know what happened in March of 2020. Yeah, it was a great month. And yeah, so that got canceled. Um, and so can, literally- I, can I ask, sorry, sorry to absolutely. Um, so like, what was that like, you know, you're a year in and this was shocking to begin with that it wasn't happening yet. And they're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, we got nothing for you. Like where, what, what's, where's your head at at that point? Well, I'm so glad you asked that. Cause I feel like I I'd had, I was, I was not fortunate because friends have gone through this. I certainly never wish this upon anyone, but I felt lucky. I had a few people in my life that had gone through this, that were able to be good resources to me. And, um, I think for my two friends that I knew that had gone through this, through the fertility testing process, they've got some sort of answer, um, as to why it wasn't happening. And I think for us, we got a diagnosis of unexplained infertility and that was confusing. Um, because of course I don't want anything to be wrong. I was grateful that everything appeared to be normal, but it also gave us nothing. It gave us no answers. So yeah, yeah, it was just kind of like, I think I was in a place of like, well, hot, like, cause our, our fertility doctor kind of explained, you know, you've been trying for this long with, with no, um, successful conception, you know, we recommend moving forward with an IUI just to see if that can help things gives you a greater chance of conception. Um, and I think initially, I think I was skeptical that that would even work because I was like, well, if nothing has worked up until now, how am I going to know that an IUI is even going to work? But again, I felt lucky that I had a few friends that had gone through IUIs before that were able to explain a little bit about the process. So even going into our doctor recommending it, I was already relatively familiar with what IUI was, what it looked like, kind of the commitment of it. Um, so I felt prepared for that, but I still, I think at that point was, I had, I had gotten to a place where I was just very skeptical. And I think, and this is, I think will be a theme throughout my, my pregnancy and birth story, but I had just lost trust in my body and my body's ability to conceive. And I had just was not very hopeful. Um, but yeah, so that kind of brings us to March. And I remember we went and had the meeting with our doctor on March 5th of 2020, where she would recommend, she recommended IUI. And so you have to wait until a certain point in your cycle or until your next cycle comes, excuse me, um, just start the process. And so the plan was going to be for when my next cycle would come, we would start the process for IUI, which of course that was anticipated to be like mid end of March. (laughs) Um, and then COVID hit, which, you know, changed everything for so many people. Um, and 
because of my age, I, how old am I right now? I think I was 31 at the time. Um, so I wasn't, I think they were prioritizing understandably, um, you know, women that were older that perhaps had less time. It was a little bit more urgent, you know, IVF, they were prioritizing cases that I think were much more urgent, which I understood, but also I think from a, a selfish place, I was kind of like, but wait, like I want to stay. Yeah. I waited this long. Come on, let's get the show. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, all right. But I think I like understood it, but still it was a little bit of a sting. So the IOI cycle got canceled. Um, but then my cycle never came. And, um, I randomly, I decided to say, I had, of course, a whole stash of these, like the, the pregnancy tests that you dip (gasps) into a cup. Um, and so I took a pregnancy test and it was positive and I, right. I was shocked. I excellent fertility doctor, you know, (laughs) you know, seriously, I was absolutely shocked. I had no, inclination. I had no, um, like, I mean, I had spent months, 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 months prior to this, like analyzing every little symptom during that two week wait period, like waiting to see if my cycle would come. And then just like, you know, it would come of course. And then it is what it is. Um, but this I had, and maybe everyone says, well, no, it's when you're not thinking about it, which I secretly kind of hate, but (laughs) it is what happened to me. Um, I wasn't, yeah, yeah, I wasn't thinking about it. And got a positive pregnancy test. And so then of course, processing that took a little, took a minute, um, because I was like, okay, well, this is exciting. <laughs> I guess we didn't need IUI, but then of course that was still in the beginning of COVID, which at the time yeah. I honestly wasn't overly concerned about. It was kind of just like, it is what it is. I was just so right. excited to be pregnant. Um, and I, at the time I, I'm not at the time, generally I, I feel very lucky that I had established care at the fertility center because they are very proactive about getting you in for blood work and doing really early ultrasounds to make sure that everything looks good. And I knew that if I had been at my regular OB, they wouldn't have done that. And so I was grateful to have such proactive care, um, very early on, especially because I think since it took us so long to achieve this pregnancy, I was pretty anxious about it. And of course, anticipating the worst. Um, so I went in for HCG draws and everything looked great. And they scheduled a six and a half week ultrasound. And I went in for that and, um, that ultrasound did not go well. Um, I, I was measuring six weeks, one day. And the doctor who was doing the ultrasound said, you know, you're measuring six weeks, one day, but I don't see a heartbeat. Um, and, but she was kind of like, you know, this is right on the cusp where, um, it could just be too early to detect the heartbeat. Um, it could be an early miscarriage. Like we just don't know. We're going to have to have you come back in 10 days. Um, it was the longest 10 days of my life. (laughs) Um, because I think I was like, again, stuck in this place of waiting and wondering and just like not being sure. And I was one convinced that everything would be fine because there was just no way we were going to wait this long and have gone through everything we'd gone through to achieve this pregnancy and be so excited about it to only have an end in miscarriage. And at the time, um, I was, I didn't know of any of my friends that had experienced a miscarriage. So I was like, you know, I don't know anyone that's gone through this. Like, why would it be me? The person that's gone through this long thing. Um, and so we waited 10 days and we went back and I did learn that it was an early miscarriage. Um, the, baby had stopped growing, but interestingly, and I didn't know this could happen. Um, 
the baby has stopped growing at six weeks and one day. So the measurements that were first taken, but I started experiencing symptoms literally the day after my six week ultrasound. So even after the baby had stopped growing, I started experiencing the early pregnancy symptoms. So I started experiencing nausea, um, some really intense fatigue, cravings, aversions, like, and so I think that's one of the reasons why in that 10 day period, I was like, oh, well, this is good. You know, I'm getting these symptoms. This must mean things are progressing. And so, yeah, I went in at this point, it was probably, I was, guess I was about seven and a half weeks and they went and the doctor did say, you know, it's an early miscarriage and that uh, this appointment, I feel like I could go on a whole rant about this appointment generally, (laughs) because the doctor I saw was just not the best person to be delivering this news. And it was April of 2020. So I was by myself in the doctor's office with just me and this doctor, my husband couldn't be there because of COVID. Um, and I had gone into the appointment feeling so hopeful. I think because I was experiencing these symptoms, I was so hopeful and excited. Um, and so to be told that it was the miscarriage, my first reaction was, but i but I'm nauseous. Like I'm experiencing symptoms and the doctor in response to that started to get a little defensive and explained what he was looking at on the screen. He was like, well, if you see the baby hasn't grown and he did explain why I had been experiencing symptoms. And I guess that was because the yolk sac um, had continued to grow, which I don't fully understand the early pregnancy anatomy enough to kind of dissect what exactly that means. But I guess part of not the baby, but part of the pregnancy, the um, product of conception had continued to develop. And so because of that, the hormones had still been flowing, which is why I had been experiencing the symptoms, but the baby had not grown. And so he started explaining this to me and I was just like, I don't, I don't really care, understand anything about what's on the screen. I'm still like processing this information that, um, is tricky to hear. Um, and so, yeah. And so it was an early miscarriage. And and the way that that my fertility center works is that, um, you see a variety of doctors in the offices, but you have kind of one primary doctor. That's the, um, like the center of your care. And so what happened was I went home from that appointment. And then my primary doctor called me later that day to kind of decide and talk about next steps. And so she talked me through my options. Um, and I went back and forth initially, I wanted to just wait and kind of have this miscarriage happen naturally. But the twist of it was I am a teacher. And so I was home teaching on zoom all day every day and trying to figure that out, which was and is still kind of a nightmare. Um, and so I initially, then I kind of wavered back to, okay, I think I want to go with a DNC because it's something that's scheduled. It's something I can, it's planned. I'll know when it's going to happen. I won't have to just kind of like sit around waiting for this loss to happen, which I, from my understanding, it's something that can take multiple weeks. Um, and so we decided to do a DNC and I was lucky enough to be able to get in a couple of days later. Um, and this experience was also interesting. Um, so I go in for my DNC and again, my husband's not allowed in because COVID. So I like, I go in by myself. What even for that? He couldn't. Yeah. I was shocked. And the other thing that was really, um, 
surprising to me was not only was he not allowed in, but he was asked to sit in the car outside the building. So I had someone there in case something were to happen. And so my poor husband had to sit in the car for four hours (laughs) and he like, I, like, he's such a, a saint for doing that, like without a complaint, but he had to sit in the car for four hours while I went in to do this procedure, which he also was going through, you know, a loss too. And he has to just like sit in the car for four hours. I felt so bad for him. Um, but yeah, so I go, I go in for the procedure. I go through all the pre-op stuff. I go under, um, and then I wake up and the doctor comes in. This is not, not the first thing you want to hear when you're coming out of a, uh, an opera and an, 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 like a, when you're under, but she comes in and she goes, we need to talk. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, and she basically goes on to tell me that she couldn't perform the DNC because when she went, they turned on they when I went under and they turned on the ultrasound machine to do start the procedure, they saw a heartbeat. Stop it. A heartbeat. Yes. And so I, of course, like that's the last thing you'd ever expect coming out of something like that, right? Wait, am I being punked? This is cruel. Right. No, but literally. And I think. I was just like, and like, honestly, my first response was like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't, not that I didn't want this baby, but I was more just like, I was, I had already spent several days like preparing for this and kind of grieving this pregnancy that we had all the fake feelings, but she wakes me up and she was like, yeah, like we can't do it. Um, there was a heartbeat. And so then I was like, okay, well, what next? Like, is this pregnancy viable? What's going on? And so I immediately asked, I was like, how was the baby measuring? And she was like, baby's still measuring six weeks in one day. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, so what does that mean? Like the baby's not growing, but you're saying there's a heartbeat. And she goes on to explain that the heartbeat was very low. I think it was like 80 something beats per minute. So it's not what you would expect to see at, at the time I would have been technically, I think like eight weeks, two days or something. Um, and so she's like, you know, this is not what we would expect. I, she said that she does not believe the pregnancy is viable. Um, but there was a couple options. I could schedule another DNC in a couple of days and basically give permission for them to complete the procedure, even if there was a heartbeat, or I could go back to have another ultrasound to check on the baby and then do a DNC if there was no heartbeat. And so it was just like, again, it was one of those things where I was like, what is right exactly I was like I don't understand what's happening um and of course around us the world is falling apart because yeah, COVID. Really. it was just like all the things um and so ultimately I ended up waiting a few days um we had an ultrasound the baby had no heartbeat at this point and so I went in for another DNC um that was a successful procedure oh, wow. um and after I finished that I was like, I'm never doing that again, ever, which immediately jumped to, I'm never getting pregnant again. I don't ever want to like, think about being pregnant again. I'm done. I'm just done. Um, and of course that's, I think for anyone going through a traumatic situation, like that's a normal response. You're just like, I'm, you you know, protect. I was protecting myself. I didn't want to experience one, the kind of pain you experience going through a loss, Um, and two, I, again, like you said, I think that's the perfect, like, I felt like I was being punked like every step of the way. (laughs) And it was just, it was like this constant battle of what is, what is happening. And 
again, through all of this, I had lost even more trust in my body. Cause yeah. I was like, well, clearly my body doesn't know what it's doing. If it, you know, conceives and then miscarries, and then there was a heartbeat, like, uh, who knows what's happening. And I never just like to kind of circle back to the heartbeat that was seen before my first attempt at a DNC. Um, I've never really been able to get a clear answer about why that happened or what that was. And I've asked so many people because, and everyone I've asked said, they've never heard of that happening before. Um, my OB said that they think it, it has to have been my heartbeat that they saw, but they thought was the baby's heartbeat because she was like, there's no way in like, unless there was just some minor progression in the baby's development that is just unexplainable. But I like, at this point, I'm able to look back on it and think like, that was my baby just saying hi and like being there and kind of, you know, this last like moment I had with this baby. And then the other kind of positive spin on is I got, you know, a couple extra days with this baby. Um, and so we did decide to do, um, genetic testing because I had a DNC, we had the choice to opt to do genetic testing on this baby to see if that gave us any answers. And after having gone through so much of this journey with no answers, I wanted something. And so, um, we found out there were two chromosomal abnormalities, which I know, um, chromosomal abnormalities are pretty common causes of miscarriages. And so that was kind of what the answer we were given as the cause of the miscarriage. Um, and we did also choose to find out the baby's sex, which initially I was hesitant to because I didn't want to get attached to this child, but now looking back on it, it's been what, what it's a year and a half later. I'm really glad that I did because I can now think of this, this baby as who they would have been. And it was a little baby girl. And so, um, when I think of her, I think of her as a girl. And so I think knowing that for me, I know it's not the right choice for everyone, but for me, I, I, with, with everything that we had gone through, I'm glad that I, I know that little bit of information about our baby. Um, yeah. And so from there, I think I needed to go through some healing because I was still so like, nope, nope, I'm not, we're not doing this ever again, which we of course ended up getting to a place where I was okay with that. Um, and so it took us, took me about two months to finally begin to like entertain the idea of talking about pregnancy again. And I think in the grand scheme of things, two months really isn't that long, but in when you're living every single day, just like reliving this trauma and processing it, it feels like a very long time. Right. Um, and so we ended up meeting with our fertility doctor a couple of months later and kind of talking through the next steps. And she, she did say that, um, she was like, you know, since you've conceived this one time, you could keep trying on your own if you want, but I, I would still recommend going forward with an IUI. And so we decided this was, um, July of 2020. She was like, let's, you know, start an IUI and see what happens. And then she did say that, um, you know, before we do the IUI, um, on like, cause an IUI, you take medications and have monitoring done on certain days of your cycle. And so she said on day, I forget what day it was, but it's like day seven or eight, you know, before we actually start the monitoring of your lining, um, we want, we have, they had to do something called a, I think it's a saline ultrasound to make sure that there's no, um, basically no like remaining tissue from the miscarriage. Um, and looking back, why they couldn't have done this earlier. I don't fully understand, but you know, it is what it is. So I go in for this procedure and they find something. (laughs) Well, on the, on the monitor, they say they're, they found something, 
um, which means the IOI cycle for that month had to be canceled, uh, which of course was just like another blow. Um, and after that, I kind of was in the back in this space of nope, not doing this ever again. Um, I get a get a win here, right? And that's exactly how I felt. I felt just like, what? Why is everything against us? I don't understand. I just want to have a baby, um, and so. I had to go in for a hysteroscopy to explore the uterus, make sure like, or to remove any tissue that was there. And they ended up finding nothing, which again was so confusing because I was like, why, how do you see something on a screen and you insist it's there and you have to cancel a whole IUI cycle because of it. And then you go in for another procedure where I had to be under anesthesia and there was nothing there. I, and so when I found out that they had gone in and found nothing, I, told my husband, I was like, I am done with the doctor. I am not like, I was like, we can keep trying on our own for a little bit, but like, I don't want anything to do with this, these docs, not because I was mad at them necessarily. I think I was just mad at the whole process and everything that had happened. Exactly. Everything that had happened so far. And so, um, yeah. So I kind of was like, Nope, done. I'm not going back to the doctor. Like we'll, we'll entertain this idea again, like in six months, like I need some time because I'm just done with these appointments, all of it. So, um, and he agreed, he was kind of in the same place. And so, um, we decided to just kind of forget about the doctor. Um, we were going to still going to try on our own, but not with the expectation that anything was really going to happen. Um, and lo and behold, we ended up conceiving in August of 2020. (laughs) Um, and so that was certainly a surprise because again, I had just, we just had had 14 months of nothing and then a conception and then this miscarriage and then we're supposed to have months. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. All the things I was like six months off and now I'm like, okay, (laughs) so kind of had to reevaluate what was going on, but we kind of got to a place of like acceptance with it. Um, I definitely experienced what I've heard a lot of, um, people experience when you conceive after a loss um, or a long infertility struggle of just like, not really excitement at the pregnancy, but just kind of like caution. And, um, I, I was, I still very much had my guard up and was not willing to quite, um, get hopeful yet. Um, but again, I was lucky. I felt I was still under care at this fertility center. And so they got me in for the blood work for the early ultrasound. Since fortunately with this pregnancy, everything looked good. And, um, this ended up being the pregnancy that, you know, we saw through and brought us our son. So it was, you know, this pregnancy ends happily. Um, but once I was, uh, kind of graduated from the fertility center, I, um, had a pretty, um, a pretty great pregnancy. I feel very lucky, Becca. I'm familiar with um, your pregnancy stories. I've listened to your podcast, so I know that you <laughs> did not have the easiest early pregnancy. It's all sunshine and rainbows. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel very lucky that my pregnancies, my pregnancies, with my pregnancy singular, um, was relatively straightforward. Um, I definitely did experience nausea and fatigue, um, but it wasn't overly debilitating. It was definitely manageable throughout the day. And then for me, it dissipated once I was in the second trimester. So it was, um, it was pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Um, no complications came up. Um, so I feel very, very lucky that the, the, really the whole pregnancy was, um, 
I don't want to use the word easy because I don't think pregnancy is ever really easy, but it was straightforward. You know, it was, there wasn't anything out of the ordinary that popped up that we had to deal with, except for the fact that I just was, I think constantly just really nervous and anxious and always anticipating the worst and ultrasounds to this day are not really my friend. I, um, don't love them. And, um, just, I always, I really struggled in the days leading up to my ultrasound appointments, um, with this pregnancy with Oliver, just kind of always thinking through every possible thing that could go wrong and kind of mentally preparing myself for every possible thing that could go wrong, which is exhausting because you, in, in so many ways, I educated myself on all the things that could go wrong, which I think for me, I'm such a planner and I like to, um, I like to be really fully prepared for something. Um, so I wanted to kind of prepare for these ultrasounds. Um, but that also in turn gave me more anxiety because then I would hyper focus on all the possible outcomes, but right. at the, in the end, it all kind of, um, you know, worked out as it was meant to, um, but kind of thinking ahead to the birth, um, I, I think, like I said, in the beginning, I've always loved kids and always known I wanted to be a mom and I've always been really fascinated with birth. Um, I, you definitely was, a, a watcher of TLC's, um, was it a baby story? Is that what it was called? Oh, I know what you're talking about. I've never seen it, but I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. There was like this TLC show and every episode like was about a birth. I think it was called a baby story, something like that. But I remember I was like 12 or 13. I would just like sit and watch it. It was so fascinating to me. Um, and I was always very drawn to, um, the experience of unmedicated birth that I don't know why I cannot explain if there is a specific reason, but that's just always something that resonated with me for some reason. And, um, from a young age, I knew that was an experience I really wanted to have. And so once this pregnancy, um, once I felt confident in this pregnancy, I started to kind of think about the birth, but because I was so hesitant about, um, everything really, (laughs) um, I also was kind of I would psych myself out and be like, oh, well, something's going to happen and I'm going to have to have a C-section or something's going to happen and I'm going to need to be induced. And then I'm going to need an epidural. And, you know, like I would like go into these scenarios of why every, why this birth experience I've always wanted, um, isn't going to happen. And so the way that I kind of fought against that was just to educate myself. And I set out to educate myself as best I could on, um, birth and unmedicated birth, because, um, I knew I wanted an unmedicated birth. And I, at this point, having kind of gone through it once, I'm definitely much more open to the idea of a future, um, birth center or home birth birth. But, um, at the time I, I was convinced everything that could go wrong would go wrong. And I wanted to be in a hospital. hospital. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I wanted to be in a hospital. Um, and I feel very lucky where I live. Um, DC has so many, options for healthcare providers, um, in different settings. And so I was able to go to a practice that um, is a collaborative practice between obstetricians and midwives. And so I was able to see OBs and midwives for my care. And if my pregnancy was low risk, a midwife would be the one to deliver the baby in the hospital. So I was excited about that because that was something that, um, was really important to me. 
Um, question real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when you were doing your research, you said you wanted to like arm yourself with as much education as possible for unmedicated mm-hmm. birth. Like what were your favorite books or resources or, you know, online, anything like what, what were you like feasting your eyes on? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I think my biggest resource is I listen to the podcast, the birth hour often. Okay. Um, I love hearing birth stories. I think birth is so fascinating. And I think just, I mean, any person who's gone through that has a story to share. That's really amazing. And I think I, that listening to so many birth stories, I educated myself through just hearing because every birth is so different, you know, you never know what to expect going into it. And so I think knowing that there was zero, zero percent chance that I could anticipate how my birth was going to go. I wanted to just hear as much as possible about birth and what it could look like or what it has looked like. And so I listened to a lot of birth stories, all types of birth stories too. So not just, um, like unmedicated births, but I listened to like home births and cesarean and, um, all, all types of birth stories. Um, so and in a way, like there were some things that were harder for me because some births include emergencies and trauma. And so I had to kind of listen to those with caution and try and not believe that all of those things were going to happen to me. Yeah. Um, but ultimately I, th- I tried to just stay focused on the present and be like, you know, like right now, what I know about me and my baby is that we're fine. Um, and that was really, really helpful. Um, yeah. So I listened to the birth hour a lot. I read Ina May's guide to childbirth, which I found really interesting and really, um, helpful. And one thing that resonated with me a lot that comes up in my birth story is the sphincter theory, which is like, like, yeah, like relaxing your jaw to like help open up the cervix. And like, I think it's, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like, if you relax your jaw and open up your voice or your vocal, I think it was your voice, then your cervix will open too. And that really resonated with me. It provided, I think a really concrete visual, um, for during labor. Um, let's see what else. Oh, and I, my husband and I, my husband knew how important, like kind of educating ourselves was to me. And so he, happily (laughs) agreed to do childbirth class with me. And we did a childbirth class through evidence-based birth, um, which I loved. And he, he ended up loving as well. Um, it was really, I think it was a six week class where you meet online for one hour a week with uh, like this little cohort of people and an instructor who our instructor. Um, I think most instructors are doulas or healthcare professionals in the birth space. So people that are familiar with it and, um, it was really, really informative. Um, it taught us both a lot about birth and labor and delivery. And also I thought it did a really great job preparing us for postpartum and talking about how to plan for postpartum and breastfeeding, which are all things I had not thought about ever. So exactly. So I highly recommend, um, evidence-based birth. Um, so I feel like those are the big ones. Um, the big things we did also hire a doula. Um, I, at the beginning of my pregnancy was kind of in that time where a lot of hospitals in our area were not allowing doulas. And so I think for a while, I wasn't hundred percent sure if I'd be able to have one, but I think around, um, when I was maybe like 25 or 26 weeks pregnant, which was last January. So January of 2021, um, I think a lot of our hospitals had, were been allowing, um, birth support beyond your partner. So I, we decided to hire a doula, um, which 
I was very excited about my husband initially was definitely very skeptical. <laughs> he was yeah. like, well, we're going to pay how much money to have this person just like be there. I don't understand. <laughs> um, I also feel like they think they're going to be like pushed out, you know, right. in a way right. like, okay, this lady's going to come in and she's going to be like supporting you and telling you, you know, giving you things to try and trying to so whisper yes. sweet nothings in your ear. And I'm <laughs> going to be like sitting there eating Cheetos. Like what's my role now? But that's exactly. not at all what it is. They're, they're, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And I think I always like, I'm so happy we hired our doula. And I, my husband says too, like he is so happy. And I think what eventually convinced him to hire a doula is we have um, very good friends that also hired a doula for their hospital birth. And, and the, the husband in this, in this couple was like, oh my gosh, it's the best money we've ever spent. And so my husband was like, okay, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, I feel like those were my biggest resources kind of going into, um, labor and delivery. Awesome. Thank you. That's super helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I feel like at this point, this kind of brings us to the birth because the rest of the pregnancy really was pretty uneventful. Um, I was due on May 7th, 2021, which was a Friday. Um, as a teacher, I felt very lucky because, well, <laughs> lucky is a, a interesting word because teaching in 2020 and 2021 was certainly no, no small feat, but my OB and midwives, um, the, the practice I went to was recommending at the time that, um, you basically kind of self isolate in the two weeks leading up to your due date, just to kind of decrease your risk of exposure to COVID going into the hospital. And so I used that, I jumped on that to kind of start my maternity leave at 38 yeah. weeks. Um, which I'm so glad I did. Um, my baby didn't come until a couple of days after his due date. So I ended up getting the, those full two weeks to really just like rest and prepare and get ready and just go on walks. And, um, I know that's not something that everyone is able to do. Um, so I feel very, very lucky that I had that time. Um, yeah. And so, oh, and the other thing I think, I don't think I've mentioned is I did test GBS positive, um, my 36 week appointment. And that was, that was the one thing, as soon as I tested GBS positive, I was like, oh, well, that's just going to ruin everything, (laughs) (laughs) but that was the first thing. Yes. Right. That was the first thing my mind jumped to was like, oh, well, this is just going to, everything's going to go wrong. My water's going to break. They're going to make me come in and give me Pitocin, all the things. Um, (laughs) but I was, again, I think I just kept bringing myself back to the present and saying like, right now, everything is fine. We're all doing fine. There's no need to kind of spiral. Um, and so at my, I was, I chose not to get cervical checks, um, because I just didn't want to know. And this was after talking with our doula and the, um, people in our childbirth class, like based on dilation really doesn't mean a ton. Like, you know, you can go from nothing to two centimeters in hours. Um, or you can, and you could be at three centimeters for weeks. <laughs> um, and so I just chose, I chose not to know because I just didn't want to get in my head about how far along I was or wasn't progressing, whatever. Um, and so at my, I think it was when, when I went in for, my 39 week appointment, the provide, my provider offered to check me, I declined. Um, and she interestingly, and this was an OB that I saw, she kind of, um, pushed back a little bit. She was like, Oh, well, you know, you know, checking can release some of the hormones, which can help get labor going. It can really help things. And I was kind of like, well, if you want to check me, that's fine, but please don't tell me how much I'm dilated. Um, which honestly, in hindsight, I should have just said like, no, I'm really not interested and kind of advocated for myself a little better, but I think that's not I even mean, true though. I feel like it's the, like doing a membrane sweep. 
Right, right. It's way more exactly. invasive than just check. I mean, I, I'm obviously not a doctor, but I always right. think, no. oh, if we do a sweep, you know, it'll release the process right. or whatever it is, but I've never heard right. of checking. Yeah. I had never heard that either. And, um, and she like, she kind of continued pushing and, um, I like as through the, going through this process, I learned that, um, this practice that I was at, like, definitely they like to move you along as you're getting closer to your due date, which I know is not necessarily uncommon. Um, but so yeah, she kind of pushed, I let her kind of check me, but I asked specifically not to be told how much I was dilated. Um, and she respected that, which I appreciated, but she did say, she was like, I'll tell you, like, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> and I was like, okay. It doesn't mean anything. So I don't know what to do with that. Right. It doesn't mean anything because like, not like the baby's my body doing what it needs to do. That's what I, you know, believe my body was doing what it needed to do. And however far along I was at the time was however far along I needed to be. Um, and so I went, I scheduled my due date appointment, um, for 40 weeks and I had asked my doula about what her thoughts were on a membrane sweep. Cause that was something I was interested in. And her recommendation was to wait until you're at or after your due date. Cause she was like, I think the research, um, that she shared, and I can't remember specifics, but the research that she shared, um, was that when you're at or after your due date, if a membrane sweep is going to help, that's what's most likely to help. And okay. her explanation was also that it's one of those things that if you're close to labor, it can help move things along. But, um, if you're not close to labor, it's not really going to do anything except make you a little extra crampy. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I was getting definitely a little bit like anxious. I wanted to get things moving. And so I decided at my 40 week appointment to ask for membrane sweep. Um, and they did it. And I actually also asked, um, the midwife who I saw to tell me how much I was dilated at that time. And I think on my due date, I was dilated two centimeters. Um, and so she did the membrane sweep, told me how much I was dilated and told me, she's like, go home, go for a long walk. Um, so we went for a long walk. I definitely felt like crampiness from the membrane sweep. Um, but not too much after that, which was kind of disappointing. And, um, that weekend was mother's day, May 9th. And I remember thinking, Oh, it'd be so cool to have my baby on mother's Aww. day. But I know, but of course, you know, didn't happen, but my baby came when he was meant to come. So, um, yeah, mother's day came and went. Um, and the other thing that my midwife that I saw on my due date told me was, you know, if by Monday, which would, you know, be a couple days later, she was like, if you by Monday, there's been nothing you, if you want to, you can call and come back for a second membrane sweep, because she told me that, um, kind of like, I don't remember the exact language she used, but it was like, you know, like doing membrane sweeps back to back can be more effective than just doing them in isolation. Okay. Um, and so I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> At this point, yeah, sign me up. Try it. right. I was like, sure, let's try it. Um, and honestly, like I, I, I was eager to like meet my baby and kind of get the birth process started. Um, and so I wasn't feeling overly like, I mean, I was feeling uncomfortable and tired and done, but not to the point where I was like, oh my gosh, get this baby out now. I think I was just like, I want to get the process going. And so went in on Monday, May 10th, um, for a mem another membrane sweep. And, um, I didn't ask to be told how much I was dilated, but I did forget to tell them I didn't want to know at the time. And so the provider told me she did the membrane sweep and the OB that did it was like, oh, and you're three centimeters. And so I was like, oh, okay, well that's, you know, I'm making some progress. That's good. Yeah. And then she told me, she was like, oh, I bet if you wanted to 
go down to the hospital right now. They'd admit you. And I was like, um, what? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, you know, like you could probably go down. They'll probably give you some Pitocin and you can probably oh. have your baby today or tomorrow. And I was like, um, no, thanks. You know, I'd really rather wait and see what my body does on its own. And she was like, you know, I do think you're ready to have a baby. And again, was, this was a different OB than I had seen a couple weeks prior. That was a little pushy about the, um, cervical check, but this OB was like, yeah, you know, I really think you should go to the hospital and have your baby. But I was like, okay. And then I just left and I went home. I did not go to the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I was like, okay, bye. (laughs) Like, and so I went home and, um, and tried to go for a long walk. I definitely, after this membrane sweep was feeling a little more crampy. Um, and then this, the eve, this evening, Monday, May 10th in the evening, I definitely started feeling very, very, very mild contractions. So, and I, the only reason I knew that they were contraction contractions and not just Braxton Hicks, um, which I had had for weeks and weeks and weeks was they were rhythmic. And so I was started to time them when I started to notice some um, repetition in what I was feeling. And, um, I noticed they were coming maybe every like seven to 10 minutes. And so I was like, kind of made a mental note of it. I just laid on the couch and timed them for a little bit. Um, but it wasn't anything super uncomfortable, nothing I had to like deep breathe through or anything. Um, I just kind of noted it and they eventually kind of subsided, um, which was a little bit discouraging. Um, so I kind of spent the rest of that evening bouncing on my exercise ball. We were watching TV, um, And then I did end up losing my mucus plug, um, that evening. And I had kind of had like, you know, I know there's no TMI when you're talking about birth, (laughs) (laughs) I kind of had some like extra mucusy discharge the days prior to this. Um, but I like nothing that would, to me was like, oh, this is definitely a mucus plug, but no, this was definitely for me, a very clearly a mucus plug. It was definitely also some significant bloody show, which I know, um, my doula had said like, could be a really good sign that labor is close. Um, I think bloody show is more of an indicator than your mucus plug, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so I was feeling hopeful and honestly, I went, I went to bed that night and I was like, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night slammed with contractions. (laughs) Um, and then we're going to go to the hospital. It's going to be it. But no, of course I went to bed and slept great actually (laughs) through the night. I think I woke up once. Um, and then with, you know, no contractions, nothing, I woke up and felt great, no contractions. And I think I was like, well, okay, you know, this just didn't work. Membrane sweep didn't work. My body might not be ready, but I definitely also was getting to a place where I was just like, okay, like body, come on. And I think a big part of this comes from the distrust that I had built over our years of trying and our miscarriage and all the other things that had happened. I I still didn't fully trust that my body could do this. Um, And so to kind of be getting these little signs and then nothing, or at least nothing when I was hoping for something was super discouraging. And I like that morning, this was uh, Tuesday, May 11th. um, That morning I went into this like place mentally where I was just really, really frustrated um, and really angry because I think I was so hopeful the night before. And so then to wake up with nothing and absolutely no sign of labor was super discouraging. Um, so a friend of mine, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, I feel like, so you know how, when you're trying to conceive, there's like the two week wait and it's like one of the yeah. most cooling experiences. And then, you know, you experience it month after month, whatever. Yeah. I feel like once you hit your due date and you're still <laughs> pregnant, I feel like this is like the two week wait that nobody talks about. 
hundred percent. A lot of women maybe don't get there. You know, their babies come before that time period, but it really is. It, it messes with your head just as much. Oh my gosh. You're so true. I love that comparison. I've never thought of that, but it's so true. And you're anal over analyzing every Everything. little symptom. And just like I did when I was waiting for my cycle or a pregnancy, all those months, I was like Googling like early signs of labor, how long after mucus plug to sleep, like yep. my Google search during those days was probably ridiculous. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I like, anyway, I was in this like place. I was exactly in that place where I was just like, Oh, fine. This is never going to happen. Baby's never going to come out, whatever. Um, and my friend, one of my good friends was like, like go for a walk, just go for a long walk. And I had this one like trail in DC and rock Creek park that I loved and would walk almost daily during this pregnancy. And so it was like my place I would go and listen to my podcasts and whatever. And so I went out for this walk and it's about a mile and a half out a mile and a half back. And at the mile and a half out point, right where I turned around to come back, there was a big gush. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It, wasn't, it wasn't like a massive, oh my gosh, my water broke gush, but it was definitely more than a, oh, I peed myself or, you know, this is something else gush. It was something. And I kind of stopped for a minute and was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, and I like, I kind of turned my head towards what my body was feeling. And I definitely noticed some crampiness and um, I was like, all right, well, I'm just, I'm going to go home now yeah. <laughs> and just going to walk home and hope that nothing major happens in the next mile and a half of walking. Um, and so I did, I started walking home and, um, I, I, on this walk home is when I started to feel things begin. Like I definitely started to feel contractions pick up. It wasn't anything major or it wasn't anything intense, but I definitely, um, was feeling more than the mild contractions I was feeling the night before. And so I get home and my husband who was working from home at this point, I walk in and he's in our like kitchen on a zoom call. And this is probably, um, 10 AM he's in our kitchen on a zoom call. And I'm like, all right, he's on zoom call. I'm not going to bother him with this right now. I'm just going to take a shower. So I took a shower. Um, and then I went and just like laid on our bed and, then I was like, wait, I'm GPS positive. <laughs> and I cool. was like, they tell you, you're supposed to go to the hospital if your water breaks. But I definitely had this like mental battle in my head of like, was this my water? Was this just something else? Cause I was really nervous that I was going to go to the hospital. Um, and they were going to put me on Pitocin and to try and move things along unnecessarily. Um, but I wanted to also if my water had broken, be proactive about that because I did want to get the antibiotics to keep the baby safe. So I was having this like kind of mental battle about what to do. And I ended up deciding to call the hospital just to see what they said. And, um, the midwife I spoke to was like, um, you know what, come on in, we'll test it if it's your, and then of course she said what I didn't want to hear, but she was like, we'll test it. If it's your water, we'll go ahead and start you on Pitocin and get things going. And I was like, mm -hmm, okay. Um, but I was like, no, I, I, I want to know if it's my water and if it's not my water, then I'll fight the battle. I need to fight, you know, when we're there. And so my husband, <laughs> he was on his zoom call for probably another like 30 or 40 minutes. And then he got off and, um, I, he was like, all right, I think I'm going to go out for a run right now. And I was like, no, you're not. <laughs> I was like, we're going to the hospital because my water might've broken, but I'm not sure. But regardless, we're going to the hospital. So finish packing the hospital bed. Um, and he was like, oh, okay, <laughs> let me take a shower. So we kind of get ourselves ready. And, um, I think this was very much a time to where 
I was like, all right, this could be the real thing, but it might not be. And I think because I was still in this place of lacking trust with myself and my body, I was just like, well, my body has no idea what it's doing. So who knows what's going to happen? Um, we get in the car, drive to the hospital. I remember so vividly, we pulled in parked at 1204 PM. Um, we go up into triage and they, um, you know, checked me in, uh, because I was GBS positive. They did not do a cervical check, which I'm thankful for. Um, but they did test. Yeah, they did test. I, I don't, I think it's because they want to, um, they, they want to like not push any of the bacteria up like towards sure, the baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so they, they checked the fluid and it was amniotic fluid. Okay. Um, and so the, the, and I was, I was from the time I got into triage from the time I checked into labor and delivery was probably about two hours. And in that two hour period, like my contractions were significantly increasing, like to the point where I was becoming very uncomfortable oh, sitting on the bed having to like breathe through them. My contractions were becoming very like much more intense. Um, and the other, the other kicker, and this could be a whole other story that I won't go into too, too much, but our doula was at another birth and our backup doula was at another birth. <laughs> and so this is all the babies wanted to come this day, but you know, long story short, our doula ended up finishing up at her other birth and making it to us. So that all worked out great, but it was just one of those things where I was just like, of course, more things. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Right. Um, but yeah, so anyway, about an hour and a half, two hours after we'd been in triage, when we finally had confirmed that my water had broken, they did the COVID test COVID negative. That was fine. I had gotten a dose of antibiotics. Um, so I felt good about that. Um, the midwife comes in and was like, all right, so like, we're going to check you in now and we're going to get you started on Pitocin. Mm, and I mm. was like, well, like I'm contracting, like, I do feel like my contractions are progressing. Like I prefer not to start Pitocin. And she looked at the little piece of paper that the machine spits out that shows the contract, like the contraction waves. I don't know what it's called, but, yeah. um, she looked at it and she was just like, um, it, this might just be some uterine irritability. I don't know if these are actually contractions you're feeling. Oh, I don't know if I've ever been like, I was just a, one astounded that someone was telling me not astounded because I had kind of anticipated being questioned, um, based on some prior experiences I'd had with my providers. But the fact that she was like, no, you're not having contractions. I was like, excuse like, me. You want to get punched. <laughs> right. Exactly. What? Like, no, thank you. Um, and also like, I think I know my body, like I can definitely, these are definitely contractions. And we ended up, she still didn't believe me, but we ended up kind of negotiating two hours. Um, and she was like, I'll give you two hours. We'll see how you I'll come and check you in two hours. We'll see like how things are moving along then. And then we can make a decision. Um, and so we got into our room and this is when things like really, really started to pick up. I no longer wanted to talk to my husband through contraction. The poor thing was just like, how can I help you? I was like, just, you know, don't touch me. Don't talk yeah, to me. Exactly. Yeah, leave me alone. <laughs> right. Leave me alone. Um, and I was just like lots of pacing back and forth. I tried bouncing on the birth ball, but didn't like that. Um, but I could really feel myself starting to go inward and, um, begin to experience this. And I think I got, I remember being hit with this moment shortly after we had checked in where I, um, 
looked or, or I had told my nurse that we wanted no epidural, we wanted a natural childbirth. And so she writes on the whiteboard, you know, um, like natural childbirth. Um, I think to like tell providers not to ask me about an epidural, et cetera. And I looked at the whiteboard, it was just me and my husband in the room. And after everything this midwife had said, and after everything we'd gone through, I remember in my mind thinking like, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. Like, why did I ever think that this was a good idea? I'm obviously going to fail at this. Like, and I kind of, I don't, I don't think I shared any of this out loud to him, but I definitely had this internal moment of like, why, like, what have I gotten myself into? Like I everything else, something has come up and every step of this process, you know, who am I to want this natural childbirth when really like, it would be so much simpler to just ask for an epidural and have that be part of my story. Um, and for the record, I have absolutely no issue with individuals who choose to have an epidural during labor because it's such a personal thing. And I know many, many people that have loved their experience with an epidural because it, it truly, it make, it can make it as very, very a much more enjoyable experience. Um, but I think in this, I think me, I just really wanted this experience of an unmedicated birth. Um, so I, I kind of had this dialogue with myself in my head and was just like, well, like, this is where we are right now. And we're just going to keep, keep going. Um, and from here, this was probably around two 33 PM. Um, and we had until about five, five, five 30 PM to see how, how far I was going to progress with my uterine irritability. <laughs> yeah, um, like things definitely got very intense quickly, um, to the point where I started moaning through contractions. Um, and that was really the biggest, um, I think strategy I was using was just like deep moaning. And it, it got to a point too, where a lot of the noises I was making were so involuntary. It was just something that was happening. Um, which was interesting. Like, cause I feel like part of me was even like watching it from like a bird's eye view. Like I was experiencing it, but I was also like aware of myself experiencing it. If that makes sense, yeah. it was very, very bizarre, but it is this kind of out of body experience. Um, and I ended up settling into, um, the position that I was in for the majority of my active labor, which was on my knees with my forearms kind of leaning against the end of the bed. Um, and for some reason, this just felt really comfortable to me. And I could kind of like move my hips around my doula would coach me through like putting one leg up to the side and like leaning into that side to help open up the pelvis a little bit. Um, and that was just where I was. And I think I was asked maybe 10 times throughout labor, like, are you sure you don't want a towel for your knees? <laughs> um, because I was just kneeling on the floor. Yeah. Um, but I was like, no, get away from me. I don't want any towel. Do not touch me. <laughs> I don't know why I have no idea why, but it's just, that's just what worked for me in the moment. Um, and I just, from there, everything just continued to progress. And it's interesting because I feel like I've gotten asked a lot since then, like what it feels like or what the pain was like. But for me, and people stare at me crazy when I say this, like for me, it wasn't pain. Like when I think of pain, I think of like breaking a bone or like getting a tooth knocked out or something like unnatural, right? Like something that's not supposed to happen um, when your body's kind of freaking out, like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Um, but it was just one of the most intense feelings. I yep, think I've ever felt in my entire life. Yeah. 
it was, yeah, it was so intense. Um, and I think that was the overwhelming part for me was the intensity of it. And it, I totally get how so many people say it's such a mental game because like, it's, you're working against this intensity and like, you have to give into it and kind of accept the intensity for what it is. Um, and so that was, I think, like, again, a lot of people ask me what labor felt like and what the experience was like. And that was, I think the biggest takeaway for me was, and I know this is not the case for everyone. Um, like I didn't have any back labor. I didn't have any, like he was in a good position. So I think I was lucky in that. Um, but I didn't feel what I would consider like intense pain. It was just the most intense thing I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the, how everything felt. Um, and I, I definitely lost track of what time it was or what was going on. Um, I found that in between contractions, I was still very present. Um, I could still hear what people were saying in the room. And I was still very aware of like conversations my husband and doula were having. And I was very aware of, um, uh, like the providers coming in and out. Um, and I ended up having an angel, like absolute angel midwife as the provider who delivered our baby. Um, and I talked to her a little bit afterwards and, um, she is a former birth center midwife. And so she, I think it's very much up her alley to kind of support this unmedicated birth. And so she was game for me delivering in any position I wanted and was so, so supportive and hands-off and like asked anytime she would touch me, she asked if she could. And it was just, I always, I I've been saying our baby knew to come when he came because like, she was meant to be the midwife who delivered him. She was like, she is the reason that I think I ultimately felt so empowered to have my baby the way that I did. Um, and I'm so, so grateful to her for that. And that I think has taught me so much about like who to look for in a provider um, in the future, because she just was absolutely incredible. And I remember when she, oh yeah. And I think, I think I missed this part of the, um, of the story, but, um, at five or five 30, when that initial midwife who doubted my, um, progression came back to check me, um, she was like, Oh, you're six centimeters. <laughs> yep. I was like, uh-huh. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> you can leave now. Apples. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then she left and there was a shift change that all worked out great for me timing wise. Um, but yeah, so the midwife that came in was this absolutely amazing midwife. And I remember when she first came in to introduce herself to me, she came in and I was kind of in my position on my knees on my forearms on the end of the bed. And she came around to meet my eyes. Didn't ask me to turn to her. She came around to meet my eyes and introduced herself. And, um, my first question to her was like, Oh, so do you want to check me? And I don't know why that was my first question to her, but I think in my mind, I was like, this is just what providers want. They want to know how far along you are. So they know what to do. But she was just like, Nope. Like I see what's happening and I'm confident things are moving along. And I think my doula later told me, she was like, in that moment, she saw me just relax so much and just kind of be like, okay, like, like you can do this, your body can do this. And again, that was just such an empowering moment and such an empowering provider that I had. Um, for that experience. That's powerful. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I feel very, very lucky. Um, and so, yeah, so then my labor progressed very seamlessly. Um, I wasn't really interacted with much unless, um, I needed a, you know, another dose of antibiotics at one point. So they gave me that. And I, 
I did intermittent monitoring for the baby. And so they occasionally would, you know, adjust the straps on my, that were on my belly to monitor baby's heart rate. Um, but I really wasn't, you know, bothered, which I appreciated. I was kind of in my zone. And I remember at one point, um, I like felt myself start to shake and start to get really, really nauseous. And I never threw up, but in my mind, I was like, okay, like this is transition. Things are getting closer. Um, and I lost all sense of time, of course, like as you do when you're in this space. Um, but then I, felt just like this really intense pressure. And they had told me, and I, from listening to so many birth stories, I was aware that, you know, to feel for that rectal pressure that could indicate baby is, you know, you're ready to push and definitely felt that. Um, and I, I never consciously pushed, like it just happened. It was just like, definitely that fetal ejection reflex where the baby just like is pushing itself out. Um, and with every contraction, I never like kind of consciously pushed. I just kind of gave into like the most intense feeling of my life. And with that, like the baby would just descend. And I was hearing, um, the midwife talking to my husband and our doula kind of describing what she was seeing every so often about how the baby was progressing. And so hearing that in the background was comforting to me that there was some progress being made. Cause I think I ended up pushing for about an hour and a half total, okay. um, which I know like is probably pretty average for a first time mom, according to my midwife, at least. Um, but she would occasionally say like, Oh, yep. Like I'm starting to see some of the head or like, I'm starting to see this, or I'm noticing this. And, um, so I think I was because of what was going on and because in between contractions, I was able to stay pretty present. Um, I was pretty aware that things were happening. And then, I mean, before I knew it, I feel like I felt him there, <laughs> like coming out. And it was just the most surreal feeling, um, that like, Oh, my baby was here. And I remember, um, his head came out and the midwife was like, all right, the head's out. And then I, I don't know why, but I just kind of gave this like little push, this like tiny little push nudge and his whole body just slid right out. I mean, we did not find out the sex of our baby, um, during the pregnancy. So we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, which was so fun. And, um, my husband, like they helped because of the position I was in, I was still on my knees, like with my arms on the end of the bed. And so the baby was like under me. Um, and they, they showed him to my husband and my husband said that the umbilical cord was kind of like hanging in between his legs a little bit. So he couldn't fully tell, but he was like, I think it's a boy. And the nurse was like, yeah, it's a boy. <laughs> like, so yeah, this is a boy. Like, I don't, yes. Um, but yeah. And then the midwife and our doula helped me, um, climb up onto the bed. I have no idea how I did that at, just after giving birth. Um, but like, I think they must've like lifted me onto the bed because they helped me and the baby get onto the bed and, um, yeah. And then they, my midwife stitched me up. I did have, um, some tearing like a second degree tear and then, um, some internal tearing that she kind of took care of. Um, and the placenta was born and, um, yeah, every, everything was there from that point on went, um, pretty uneventfully, um, Oliver latched pretty quickly and, um, was, a really great eater. And, you know, at nine months old, he still is to this day. He's yeah. just, you know, he's all about the solids right now. I feel like he eats as much as I do at meals. He eats like three full meals a day and still nurses <laughs> several times throughout the day. So he's, he's a hungry boy. <laughs> Love it. Um, 
but yeah, no, it, like, I think again, thinking kind of back to the birth, it, it, for me going through the birth and kind of postpartum journey that I did, even though postpartum was, oh my gosh, like it's a whole other beast. I don't think, like you said, I don't think you can really ever prepare for that. Um, and it was so hard in so many ways, but because it, everything was okay because Oliver and I were both okay. And because the birth, I, my body was able to go through this birth in this way that I had so hoped it would. Um, I felt like I I've started to regain that trust. Like, okay, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. There's just, you know, these things happened. Um, it sucked. And, but you know, it brought me to where we are now, which is with our son. And it's, so it's all kind of been this nice little, um, closure, I guess, to everything. Exactly. It's, it's definitely was my birth was definitely a very healing experience. Cause I think that I, it's something that I wanted to experience for so long, but I so doubted it. I doubted my ability to do it. I was convinced something was going to come up. Um, and I feel so deeply for people that have to go through like when these unexpected things come up. Cause again, I feel so incredibly lucky that Oliver and I both kind of went through this as went through this as low risk and healthy. I know that's not always the case. Um, and so I'm very, 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 very grateful for that. Um, but it was, I think for me, a very healing experience. And so I'm, I'm again, very grateful for how everything was able to go down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's just such a beautiful story. I mean, to go from all of like the pain and the back and forth and just all of that waiting in a lot of different stages to then, you know, have a healthy pregnancy that was uneventful and then to go into birth, even still doubting that you could do it. And it progressed beautifully. I mean, that's just, I mean, I don't want to say that's like all you could ask for because nobody wants, nobody wants to go through, you know, the valleys first, nobody Mm -hmm. ever wants to experience the hard stuff, but I'm just so happy to hear that your experience, your birth experience was positive and that it was able to like kind of catapult you into some healing and to like move past all of the doubts that you had and the pain you experienced. I mean, that's like the power of birth. Like it, it can be that it also can be traumatic, which is in a lot of situations. And that is a whole nother, another conversation. Um, and, and really sad in a lot of ways, but, um, I'm really, really just so, so glad to hear that for you, it was, it was so healing and so empowering. Um, and like, what, what a better way to like jump into motherhood, you know? Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. No, I knew and like scary and you don't know what you're doing. And they're just at the hospital. They're just like, okay, like blah, 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 blah. Don't let them sleep in the bed with you. And like, right. All the things. Yeah. No, my gosh. Absolutely. I like, and again, I, I agree with everything you said. Like, I feel so grateful and it's like, I, yeah, it, it, to me, it all kind of ended, not ended. Cause it's really just the beginning of like our journey as a family, but like it, it was able to help me not close this chapter. Cause it's never closed. Like our miscarriage and our, our kind of journey to pregnancy is always a part of me. It's something I think about all the time, but in a different way now, um, which I think is part of the healing process. Like I was able to, I'm grateful that my birth was able to help me heal. Um, because I know it could have gone very differently. It could have been another experience that would have added to 
some of the trauma that was still lingering and that does still linger a little bit. Um, but I feel again, incredibly grateful because I think I've heard enough stories to know that it's definitely not always this way. And there's so many things that could happen. Um, so yeah, I feel grateful. And I think thinking about future children, we don't know what the future holds for us yet, but I think that I feel differently going into kind of if, and when we do decide that, you know, it's time for more kids. Um, I, I, I'm, I feel grateful that I don't have to go into it with this. I think there always will be a sense of fear and uncertainty. Um, I don't know if that ever goes away if you experience a loss, but I think that it's having had this successful birth and postpartum experience or success isn't the right word. Um, cause it's, it can be successful even if it is harder. Um, but having had a, exactly having had a positive birth experience, um, I think is, was really very much a gift, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. This was such an incredible story. And I feel like anybody listening can take so much from it because you experienced so much just in, you know, not just because it was, it was a journey for sure, but from trying to get pregnant and then, you know, experiencing a miscarriage and then going through pregnancy and birth and all the prep and everything. Um, I think a lot of women out there will be able to relate to your story in a lot of different ways. So I'm just so appreciative, um, you know, having you on and just thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And where can people find you if they want to come, you know, be your friend on the internet, where would they go to do that? Absolutely. Um, so my, I'm on Instagram and my Instagram handle is Caitlin Jew, all one word. And that's K A I T L Y N J U E. Um, it's a private account, but if you, um, request turn me or message me and say that you heard the story and want to connect, I'm more than open to, um, other people following me. I don't post on there a ton, but I'm pretty like active. I like to, I have a lot of um, accounts that I like to follow and, um, I'm definitely, um, yeah. So yeah, feel, feel free and message me or, or whatnot, but that's probably the best place to find me. Okay, perfect. And I will make sure to put that down in the show notes below. Um, so you guys can go hop over there and connect with her. Um, but thank you so much again. I really so appreciate you coming on here and your story is so beautiful. And I'm so glad to hear that Oliver is just a happy little chunker eating <laughs> his heart out. That's exactly how my baby is right now, Hadley. And oh, I love it. I love it. I'm like, where is it going? Like, Right. It's so true. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin. Of course. Thank you, Becca. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, you guys. So that is it for today's episode. I hope that you loved hearing from Caitlin. I sure loved hearing her story. I found it very inspiring and I also related to it um, in a lot of different ways. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. We're going to be kind of rounding out the um, first half of my pregnancy as I'm approaching 20 weeks, which is super exciting. And maybe we'll have another birth story or maybe we'll have Matt on. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, he hasn't been on in a couple episodes. I'm sure you guys are dying to hear from him. <laughs> um, but that is all for today's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to give us a review. Um, if you have a second, let us know how you're enjoying the podcast. Um, and I will see you in or talk to you, I guess, in the next one. All right. Bye, guys.